Not to move forward, to stay where we are, to regress. In other words, to rely on what we have is very tempting. For what we have, we know. We can hold on to it, feel secure in it. We fear and consequently avoid taking a step into the unknown, the uncertain. For indeed, while the step may not appear risky to us after we have taken it, before we take that step, the new aspects beyond it appear very risky and hence frightening. Yet in spite of the security of having, people admire those with a vision of the new, those who break a new path, who have the courage to move forward. In mythology, this mode of existence is represented symbolically by the hero. Heroes are those with the courage to leave what they have, their land, their family, their property, and move out, not without fear, but without succumbing to their fear. In the Buddhist tradition, the Buddha is the hero who leaves all possessions, all certainty contained in Hindu theology, and moves on to a life of non-attachment. While having is based on something that is diminished by use, being grows by practice. The burning bush that is not consumed is the biblical symbol for this paradox. The powers of reason, of love, of artistic and intellectual creation, all essential powers grow through the process of being expressed. What is spent is not lost, but on the contrary, what is kept is lost. The only threat to my security and being lies in myself, in lack of faith in life, and in my productive powers, in regressive tendencies, in inner laziness, and in the willingness to have others take over my life. But these dangers are not inherent in being, as the danger of losing is inherent in having. Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are glad to have you guys for episode nine. Yay for episode nine. (laughs) We hope you guys are all doing well um, and that you enjoyed our last episode. I actually had mentioned in the description that if you only listen to one podcast of ours, one episode, (laughs) listen to that one. And I think everybody got the message because we had almost 40 plays within the first couple days. And I'm like, okay, everybody's listening. (sighs) Uh, so I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad for that. That's um, cool. That was yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, hey, we're excited today. We have uh, a couple of elements from the next chapter that we want to talk to you about. Um, also, Sonia has some cool, exciting news that we're going to talk to her about. <laughs> and there's an article that Monica Lewinsky wrote about the forgotten F word that we're going to discuss just a little bit because it really does fall in line with rethinking humanity and how we approach things. So before we get into all that, though, I want to let you guys know that we are we have started a thing where we have created a URL for each of us, for um, Sonia, for Victor, who is our awesome technical producer. We would not be doing this show without him. Do not be deceived. He is amazing, and we love him very much. 
and then also for myself, this buymeacoffee.com URL that we decided. Now, the reason we did that was because we love you guys so much and we hate ads so much that we do not <laughs> want to make you have to deal with that. So we are opening up a different way to quote unquote monetize the podcast, which is through buymeacoffee.com. Um, really, we're doing this because we enjoy it and we love it and we just want to have fun and do it. But we want to also give you guys a way to support us uh, in a financial way if you so feel so inclined. So the way we decided to go about that is through the buymeacoffee.com URL. And um, so we just want to put that out there that we are uh, we have those as an option for you guys. And how it works is it's really easy. You go to buymeacoffee.com backslash either Lacey Delane, backslash Sonia Larea, backslash Victor Ho, and you just press how many coffees you want to buy us. And then the cash for the coffee is transferred to our account. It's really easy. And nobody else gets that money except each of us. So if we were monetizing, some of that money would maybe go, well, it does go to the other companies involved, but this goes straight to us. And who need, who, why would we, how could we do a f- philosophy podcast without coffee? Come on. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, I agree. I how agree. Have we talked about coffee on this podcast. Yeah. Well, we meet for coffee or tea or whatever and chat and discuss our episodes and what we're going to do. So, right. Cool idea. Right. So you're fueling the podcast basically <laughs> coffee. Um, so please do that. And I ask, uh, that you, before you buy me one, buy one for Victor. Cause seriously, maybe one day we'll talk about this in more detail. He is the reason why we are here today. So if you really love this podcast, buy Victor a coffee, please. And then you can buy Sonia one and then you can buy me one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And then we have some cool, uh, fun things that we, you know, want to do around this you know, to thank you. So keep an ear out for that part. So yeah. All right, Sonia, what's going okay. on in the world, girl? Oh, I'm going to share with everybody. First, I want to do shout out to Victor. He is awesome. And I want everybody to know, yeah, I second what Lacey's saying. We could not do this without him. He's amazing. Yes. And we will talk about him more and yes, his upcoming things that he's going to be putting out there to tell our audience. Um, Okay, what I am doing, Lacey, I'm actually coming to you today from Little Rock, Arkansas. I decided to do a road trip. I have never done this, and it was kind of one of these things with COVID. I said, well, what could I do? I know people aren't traveling as much, getting on airplanes and things, but I thought, well, what about a road trip throughout the states? Obviously, I'm putting the mask on, social distancing, but I started in New Orleans, I'm in New Orleans, tomorrow I'm in Oklahoma City, then I'm going to Santa Fe, then I'm going to, I think, Flagstaff, Las Vegas, and LA. You're going to Vegas, I didn't know that. Ooh, that's fun. Well, it's kind of one of these, to be honest, I don't know, it's just, I'm gonna go with how I feel. Right. But the goal is going across to the West Coast and then coming back like through Montana, Mm -hmm. through some of maybe the parks like Utah, I'm not sure. So this is kind of gonna be evolving and I know we'll be doing the podcast, so. I will be coming to you from many different cities. <laughs> Great. And what she's really saying is in about two weeks, she's going to be like, love y'all, can't do the podcast. <laughs> I, know. I love life on the road. But I'm just I'm just Thank holding you. holding her in, in in like great endearment until she does says that. <laughs> hoping that she doesn't actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's awesome. Cool. What yeah. made you decide, Sonia, to do? To um, do 
Well, I like to travel. Lacey and I have discussed this. We both, I think, like to travel. And I think right now is a little challenging to do anything international mm-hmm. with COVID. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, also, even this podcast kind of motivated me about the being mode. I'm like, what am I waiting for? Let's just yeah. do this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just so do it. If you can, just go do it, you know? Well, I'm so, so um, yeah. 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 So I'll keep you guys posted. <laughs> and so- yeah. Well, you mention what are some of the places that you, well, the one place that you said you want to stop potentially in each. Oh, bookstores? Yes, yes. I know. I went to, I had four lined out in New Orleans. I went to three. I've already bought books. I've got so many books that I'm trying to read on this trip, but Uh it's exciting. And I, and that was one of my goals is go to each area and see if I could find their cool, independent, by the way, local bookstores to support them. Yeah. Yeah. Rock so, on. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, well see. Um, you know what? I'm thinking about starting a, a Rethinking Humanity um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if I do, then you just need to post pictures of the beautiful places that you are. Yeah. I'm gonna, cool. I, I need to do that. I need to do People that. People would that. Maybe we'll for do sure, that. For sure. Cool. <laughs> Rock on. Well, before we get into the content from the chapter, I wanted to share uh, about a, an article that Monica Lewinsky wrote in Vanity Fair, excuse me, it just came out yesterday. Um, and it's called The Forgotten F Word. Now, a lot of people are probably thinking, <laughs> Monica Lewinsky, what? Yeah. Um, and then The Forgotten F Word, what? Of course, <laughs> for me a little bit. I like, I like you know, the uh, how risque maybe that might come off. The Forgotten F Word. <laughs> but she's actually not talking about the F Word. She's talking about the word feelings and she's talking about how much um, that and our health around feelings has gotten lost in the midst of COVID-19 and the way that things have been handled um, with this pandemic. And I think it's interesting because she opens up um, comparing where we are with COVID to a personal traumatic experience she had Um, in which she was, you know, at gunpoint and thankfully got away. But she mentions how much healthier she was as a result of seeking therapy and counseling afterwards because of how traumatic that was. And she says, we're in a similar situation in that we're all facing death and trauma, but how there's been no plans presented and and how are we going to get to the point where we can get through this emotionally in a healthy way all of us collectively as a globe really um and and be healthier on the way out of it super interesting yeah i i'm so glad you told me about that article lacy i need to say that i've actually monica Lewinsky, i know people I'm going to associate with her, obviously, with the scandal years ago. But she's really an evolved person. If you've ever seen her, I think she did a TED Talk. Um, she's definitely been in therapy. She's definitely an advocate of mental health. And this yeah. article is excellent. I advise if you, if anyone out there has a chance to look it up in Vanity Fair, it's, it's so good. It talks yeah. about things, yeah, that I think we as a society tend to um, – well, ignore and there's stigma around, which I know you and I have discussed this many times. Yeah. And I think as, uh, you know, our podcast is Rethinking Humanity. And obviously I feel like one thing that we sort of talk about, but 
it's just kind of weaved in and it's not been super direct is mental health. And this, I thought was a great opportunity to just address it head on at how important mental health is to rethinking humanity and rethinking the way we do life because we are uh, human beings and mental health is a part of our overall health. It's not just something that if you ignore that it, it'll be fine or that some only some people have you know issues with or only some people need assistance with. Uh, if it's something that you know people aren't aware of, typically, they're struggling and they just aren't, they're not aware of what's going on. But let me just read just a little bit from, from what she says in this uh, article. She says, we've sequestered ourselves for months. We've told our kids they can't play with their friends or hug their relatives. And we've avoided doing the same thing with our own. Now we're sending them back to school and we're being told it's generally safe to go out as long as we wear masks and practice social distancing. Friends and relatives have begun returning to their office. And yet, how do we step out into this new world emotionally? What about the mental health cost of the underlying anxiety of the times? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's so good. Um, I like the article saying that we're, we've overlooked a need, and that is looking at the values and priorities uh, in our country, because no one's talking yeah. about our emotional states. And right. all the things that she lists, all of us have experienced that on some level. Every, obviously, there's different experiences for people. Some people have lost a loved one. Some people mm -hmm. have, you know, lost their jobs. Um, but our way of life, we've lost. So there's been a lot of yeah. loss. A lot of loss. Yeah, yeah. And I think that she addresses that we, you know, we don't talk about the F word in this um, article as feelings. And mm -hmm. it's it's a process that we're having to go through. And yeah. the fact that she's addressing it is, is very powerful. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about loss, at least personally between you and I, um, mm -hmm. but I think we've mentioned on the podcast how impactful it is to our life emotionally. And this, these are huge losses that we're talking about, changes to our way of life. So it's not just like we can just ignore it and it's just gonna go away. You know, it's it's certainly um, something that's affecting us, whether we're aware of it or not. And we talked about that when we first started the podcast, mm -hmm. how much being locked in and locked down really affected us as well. You know, another thing she mentions in here, um, and I thought this was really cool. Uh, she said there's an authority figure and a voice that has been missing from the COVID-19 conversation since day one, a mental health commissioner or czar. Mm -hmm. In other words, a mental health version of Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. And it, like, she says, what would it have meant to have this kind of authoritative e expert telling us about what is normal to feel? She says, here comes the F word, <laughs> this global pandemic. What would it have been like, basically, if we would have had some federal governmental leadership to help us understand ourselves and how to get through this, um, you know, this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we what we're we need to hear is the message that psychological well-being is prized. She's saying on a par with physical health. Yeah. In keeping with the phrase "life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness," which yeah. you know, we talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting because I mean, it's interesting how she talks about we already were experiencing depression, alienation, and loneliness. She mm. mentions that, and she talks about the rates of depression increasing and suicide. And that's 
correlated also with what we are dealing with now with this pandemic. So yeah. it's there's actually research and facts out there showing us that we need uh, support. We need resources to go through something as traumatic as this. Right. And she also says, like, what? where were the ad campaigns that were, mm -hmm. like, helping us to know alongside of wash your hands, wear a mask, hey, do some <laughs> self-care or whatever it is that, you know, the emotional or, I'm sorry, the psychology mm -hmm. czar would tell us. I love that word, by the way, because Yang was like, let's have a trucking czar. And that's like oh. super creative. You know, I like that. But you know what's interesting mm -hmm. on this self-care? It kind of goes back to what we've discussed with Fromm because we're this having society. We're not a being society. So it's we're, it's always like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get through the next day, this whole independence attitude, which doesn't correlate with the self-care that we need. And that's what we're talking about on the podcast, about how we have to change as a society yeah, for the betterment of for all of us, for humanity. Right. So I think this really plays well into what um, she talks about here. What It's really interesting. She also talks about Michelle Obama, and I know you've heard this where uh, yeah. she came mm -hmm. out saying she had low-grade depression, which was so powerful because she's – She's an awesome person. I think if you've seen, if you haven't seen her documentary or read her book, you got to see it. But the bottom line is she's normalizing that. And I would mm -hmm. say a lot of people have low grade depression. Hell yeah. Are you <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic before the pandemic? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great article. She really uh, calls out a lot of issues and, and gives examples of like you're saying, having the, the czar. Basically, yeah. the mental health czar. We're for a mental health czar, damn it. Uh, and so was Andrew Yang. He said, put a psychologist in the White House. Duh. Actually, I think we need like multiple, multiple psychologists in the White House. Yeah, we probably do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So anyways. All right. Well, um, so moving forward, let's head into chapter six. And uh, in chapter six, Andrew, uh, Andrew Yang, <laughs> Eric Fromm talks about <laughs> further aspects of having and being. And so in this chapter, there's a, four, like five or six little subheadings in this chapter. And he, in them, he is comparing and contrasting kind of how you're living in the being mode and how you're living in the having mode in these areas. So those are security and insecurity, solidarity and antagonism, joy and pleasure, sin and forgiveness, fear of dying and affirmation of living, and then here and now and the past and the future. And so these are all super meaty, of course, just like everything else in this book. So mm -hmm. uh, Sonia and I both selected one section to kind of pull from to discuss today. And um, so that's kind of what we're going to do. Sonia, what section did you pull from? Um, I really liked the, well, they're all awesome. But the one I'm going to mm -hmm. talk about here is the security insecurity. Okay. I think it's very timely with what we're living through with COVID. And I'll start by saying that one of the things he discusses is um, the idea of not moving forward and taking a step into the unknown. And what I would relate that to mm. is when you're in your zone of feeling safe and you have to make a change in your life, I think that's very challenging, you know, for people. And, and I can relate to that. I can be honest and say, 
wow, I like seeing that other people are making those changes, but I don't know that I want to make the change because there's a fear factor. There's like a risk. And there's also the fear of failure, which Mm -hmm. I think we all, that's sort of a natural fear. But if you're wanting to move into the being mode, that is something that you have to actually work towards because he gives the example that after birth, we start to orient ourselves in the world. And so then we're in the having mode where we have our family, then we acquire a job, a spouse. Then we even have like an afterlife he talks about when we acquire like our will. But the problem is that we get stuck, I think, in these places being secure in this path. And so getting out of that path is very, you know, is very challenging. And what he discusses that I love is the myth of a hero. So a lot of our literature and you know, things that you've learned about is we'll look at, he gives examples of Buddha in the Buddhist tradition, Moses uh-huh. and Abraham in the Jewish tradition, Hercules and Odysseus mm-hmm. in the Greek tradition. Yeah. And we look at those heroes, right? And they're like our idol. We see them challenge. We see them give up their possessions and go out in the world. But we look at them afar. Us doing that is very difficult. And yep. so we admire them, but we want that security. And I, like I said, I can totally relate to this. And I think that comes with, again, the fear of the change, the fear of moving forward. Yeah. And so, it, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it's the fear of the unknown, right? The mm-hmm. fear of coming out of a place that's comfortable, that's known, you know, which represents really in the way that he's speaking in this first part of the chapter, the having mode into the being mode, which is like not letting things control you, not letting things hold you back from going and living a lifestyle and a life that is full of experiences, basically. Right. And I think that really a couple lines in here, and I'll read one of them to you. If Mm -hmm. I am what I have, and if what I have is lost, who then am I? Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. Because the idea is, and I, again, I think we can all relate to that. The things that we have, whether it's your social position or your, you know, money or whatever, just your material items. If when you don't have those things or even your title, who you are, maybe you're a parent and then your children leave the home or you're in a relationship and you can define yourself as a girlfriend or a wife or a husband, and then that ends. Then then how do you define who you are? Right. And I, I think that is very powerful because mm-hmm. what he's talking about is that to be in the being mode, you have that's going to happen by practice. And I think we, mm-hmm. in the having mode, are very much tied up in, you know, when you meet someone and they say, I'm an accountant or I'm this or I'm that. It's how one defines oneself. And I think it's very limiting. And that's what's attractive about the being mode hmm. because you aren't, you don't, you aren't what you have. You know, you are who you are. And to get yeah. to that place, which we've talked about, you have to kind of go inside, right? The self-actualization also. Right. And he also says in, uh, in this first chapter that the cautious uh, the having persons enjoy security, yet by necessity, they are very insecure. Insecure, yeah. They depend on what they have, money, prestige, their ego, that is to say on something outside of themselves. But in that is that the inherent 
anxiety because if I'm depending on something outside of myself to define who I am, I can mm. always lose that thing that's outside of myself. So then I'm always worried about whether I'm going to lose that thing that's outside of myself. And so then I'm always anxious. Right, right. And I like the line too. He says, if I am who I am and not what I have, nobody can deprive me of or threaten my security and my sense of identity. Yes. My center is within myself. My capacity yeah. for being and for expressing my essential powers is part of my character structure and depends on me. Right. That's amazing. Right. And <laughs> um, I think, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying I, I I love this because I think we I think everyone can relate to this. And I was going to say, what do you think about that when you if you lose like something like I said, your title or things you have? How does that how have you experienced that? Lacey? Well, I can say that for me personally, I understand the struggle of this because <laughs> I mean, just breaking my wrists and not being able to play soccer. Oh, that, yeah. I understand that that is a way that I define myself, right? A soccer player. And then, then I feel the pain of like not feeling fully who I am if I can't play soccer. But the reality is, is I'm just as wonderful whenever mm -hmm. I'm playing soccer or not. They, yeah. Um, you're, you're enough. Yeah. You're enough. Yes, exactly. So I think it's, it's, because of our society and the way that we are conditioned as a result, it's a very hard one. Um, but it's a very freeing one if we can learn how to move through it and move past it. And, and those moments, like when I break my wrist and I can't play soccer, those are my opportunities to learn. Oh yeah. Guess what, Lacey, you are just as valuable and just as wonderful, whether yeah. or not you're playing soccer, whether your weight is fluctuating because you're not playing soccer, you can't wear the jeans that you wore eight months ago before the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I mean, I'm being real here. You know what I'm saying? So, oh yeah, I, t I can relate. I, I was saying, thinking in myself when I worked in a, I had a pretty good position before whatever, but it's irrelevant. But I know when people would ask me, what do you do? And when I wasn't doing anything, and I'm talking now from a perspective, or um, it's not that I wasn't doing anything, but doing anything, I guess, from a job title, right. then I remember feeling like, who am I? Yes. That I couldn't say, oh, I'm this blah, 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 you know? And they'll be like, oh, that's so cool. You know, now it's like, I'm just this person, just living, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if somebody was like, uh, who are you? What do you do? And you go, I'm a human. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. But see, I think we want to put people in these boxes and also define, you know, who they are. And so that's very limiting. And so yeah. I, I love this. I can relate so much to it. And I think I love the fact that he says it is that the being mode grows by practice and that that yeah. takes, you know, time. But I think it's something definitely to work towards because we are mm -hmm. very much in a having mm -hmm. mode of our um, our world, our society. And when he when he says about the practice, what do you what what does it strike you as like how you go about to doing that? Is that you know how what does it strike you on that part? Um, I think I mean it's actually some of the things you just said. I think when we're challenged and when our identity is threatened, like we said, like when you broke your wrist or when certain mm -hmm. things are taken away from us. But yeah. we can look at that as also an opportunity to grow. Like maybe that's a moment where you're quiet within yourself or you do something different um, or yeah. you take a different path, which again right. is like that hero um, sort of myth uh, of 
going out. And, and I think the idea is when you journey, this is how I would look at it. The journey isn't going to be a straight, narrow path of everything happens so wonderful and perfect. Right. You know, of course, it's going to be setbacks, but it's also you're learning about yourself and who you are. So in yeah. a strange way, even when we're challenged, it's an opportunity, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> A hundred percent. I mean, it's really a gift to be able to learn, oh, I don't have to value myself based on whether I go to the gym five times a week because there's a pandemic going on. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. Do you know? Or yeah. or whether I'm because I'm a teacher or because my income is eight hundred thousand dollars a year, or because I can say that I'm a fill in the blank, whatever it is that's outside of you. Right. I just thought of another idea. And I think we discussed it before with COVID. So say people are, you know, they're at home or they can't do certain things. Maybe they start writing that book they wanted to write. Exactly. They start building the deck they wanted to build. So they, you learn within yourself, okay, I have these tools. I have these abilities that I didn't know I had. So I think that's part mm. of the growing Love and it. being. And again, I can see yeah, where it takes practice. And I think how we interact with others also the judgment we place on those around us and, and looking at them as human, like you're saying, instead of, you know, who they are, mm. their quote unquote title. Right. Yeah. And, and we both know this, but there's other cultures that that's not the first question they ask you about. That's yourself. true. That's true. Like, that's, what do you, true. that's what we say to each other. What do you do for like, that's right. not how it is in other. Yeah. Cultures. It's just one part of you. It's not everything. Of right. That tells the story of you. So, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think it's something that we you have to work towards and um, grow with. And this is what it just that part of this chapter was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too how he talks about how we get so comfortable with the having mode. Mm -hmm. But those that as we live in the having mode, we have such respect and ad admiration for people who can you know, let go of everything and break a new path and they have the courage to do something. Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. And, you know, he talks about the hero and people seeing other people as heroes and they're like, I couldn't never do that. And then they project themselves on that hero. But right. the point is, is that the point is, is that, you know, those folks are ad admiring people who are willing to do that. And to me, that points to a desire to do it and just a fear to not be able to do it, a fear keeping them back from doing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Cool. All Love right. It. Love it. Yes. So great what part question. did you like, Lacey, in this? Because so, I know you're going to talk about your section here. Yeah, this is funny because we both picked like your <laughs> section at the very front and my section at the very end. Okay. Um, and I, it does fit in well with you know, what's going on with COVID, but I don't know. It's just so powerful. And there's a couple of things in here that I've said on the podcast, but I've also said to you multiple times over the course of our conversations about these themes. And so I, I'm excited to talk about it. So in this section, he is comparing here and now, and then past and present. And he talks about how the having mode exists only in time. So it exists in the past, the present, and the future. And as he kind of goes into more detail in the, in the chapter, more so in the past and the future. And then the being mode exists only in the here and now. So I don't know if you can think of a time. 
I invite you all who's listening to think of a time when you were submersed in the here and now. You were just not even not thinking at all about the future, the past. There was an anxiety going on in your head. You were just present in the moment and you were enjoying it and how that felt. And I started to reflect on that as I was reading through this chapter. And I thought of a couple of experiences, but I remembered mostly that in those times, I'm like, I was so happy and at peace and and felt joyful because I didn't have the anxiety of the future or the past. One of the times that comes to mind, Sonia, excuse me, is um, whenever we went, I went whitewater rafting for the first time in Colorado Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And it was such a rush. It, it was, I don't know. It's not something that I would have thought I would just go do. Um, but I, but I had a blast and I loved it. And I remember I wasn't thinking about anything else in that moment. I was just there. And all I was thinking about was, you know, the, the rushing water and listening to the guy who was leading our boat and you know what I needed to do next. And it was just, it was just amazing to be in the moment instead of worrying about what's happening next or you know uh, where where I was yesterday and what's going on in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I think this reminds me of is being in a creative mindset. I love the whitewater example. I've done that. It's it's really powerful. Um, yeah. And being creative, like music, art, I think it transcends time when you're you know, you're in that, um, what do they call it? You're in the now, you're just submerged in, in whatever you're doing. And I would say yeah. like maybe even sports, uh, people that are really into, you know, they, they go into the zone. That's what it is. That's the word I was looking for. The zone, yes. Yeah. And so exactly. I think you, you transcend uh, time and there's like a joy and yes. you're doing out, out of like a lot, you're just loving. It's a, like a, a, loving feeling. I don't know if that yeah. describes it well. <laughs> I, I agree. And I mean, the other, the other uh, examples I had were like, I know when I was nannying the girls, there were times when we would just, you know, be laying in the grass at Serenby and tickling each other and jumping on the trampoline and laughing and, mm-hmm. you know, joking with each other or whatever, tickling each other. And it, it was just, there's nothing but that moment and it's just that pure joy and that pure peace and kids are one of the best well, i was just gonna say kids that's yeah. a great example because yeah. they're not thinking about the past or the future they're no, they're very not. much joyful and that's what's uh intoxicating and being around them because they are so present yes they help bring you into the moment the other mm-hmm. thought i had was like lover a lover's gaze um <laughs> If you're when you're really truly spending like really good quality time with somebody that you are dating that you're that you're in love with, mm-hmm. that is just there. You're raptured away in that moment and you're gone. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And I I wonder, you know, what would life look like if our lifestyles, our society was oriented around that around that value, like the value of just being present in the moment. 
I think that that would be incredible. And I just saw a line here that uh, it says in the being mode, time is dethroned. It is no longer the idol that rules our life. Yeah. And all the examples you're giving are great because you're not thinking of the time. You're so wrapped up in the moment that time isn't, you're not worried like, oh my gosh, I need to be here. Or, what did it was I doing yesterday? You're just, you're basically living. Yes. <laughs> you're living authentically, you know? That's it. You're, you're living. I, this is another reason why I love this section. He, you know, this element of time, he describes time is not the dimension that governs being. The experience mm -hmm. of loving, you just said it a minute ago, joy, mm -hmm. grasping truth. I personally would add like conversing. All that stuff does not occur in time, he says, but in the here and now. The mm -hmm. here and now, he says, is eternity. Eternity is not like an indefinitely prolonged time as we have maybe been conditioned to think. But the eternity is when you get in a moment like that and you're just there and you feel that feeling of aliveness. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this is, this is definitely, definitely a powerful part of this chapter. Um, it's how do you think, like you were asking me, how do you think that we try to incorporate that into our lives? Yeah, that's, I haven't thought much about that, to be honest with you, because, you know, <laughs> there's so much in this chapter otherwise, but right. I will say this. Um, I do think that, you know, the expectation and the time demand of industrialization, which we'll get to in just a little bit, mm -hmm. makes that very difficult. And I think one of the ways to start would be empowering people to be uh, autonomous in the choices that they make on mm -hmm. their time on a daily basis. Right. Um, it's a lot easier to do that. I think technology interferes with being present in the moment in a huge way. Right. Um, text messages and, you know, phone stuff. Um, now that's not, I'm not saying like get rid of that completely necessarily. I'm just saying that that's a hindrance. And so I think, you know, we need to invest in kind of ways, researching and thinking about ways that we can empower ourselves to live in these healthy ways instead of right. the opposite. I know. I like the fact that he says in the mode of being, we respect time, but we do not submit to it. So that's yeah. really cool. We do not submit to it because as we're talking about, we get caught up, like you're saying, with um, capitalism, industrialization, time becomes money, right? People yeah. are all about being, you know, the time is what kind of governs our lives. So I think having the space to mm -hmm. not live like that, creating an environment that allows us that freedom is probably one step. Yeah. Towards I mean, and exactly. I think it's, again, it's reevaluating what our values are and then building our lives and building the society around that in a way that it accommodates it, you know? And he says, we in the being mode, we respect time, like you said, but we don't submit to it. But the respect for time becomes submission when the having mode predominates. Right. So what does that mean? Me and you can say, okay, I'm going to respect time, and uh, but I'm not going to submit to it to an extent. But to another extent, we are limited because we live in a society that they're yeah. like, right. it's 7 a.m. Why are you not at work yet? Yeah, exactly. So you have to be in, a, in an environment that's going to support that. Yes. Just as we've discussed. Absolutely. And 
it's powerful. He says, in the having mode, um, in the mode of having, time becomes our ruler. This is powerful. Mm-hmm. In the being mode, time is dethroned. It is I no longer the idol that rules our lives. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, think about oh, yeah. how happy it is. Like, you know, when you just, you're not being drug around on a leash by a schedule. Yeah, no, that's that's very powerful. And I think that's when, you know, things happen when, like I said, when creativity uh, comes to life and when you do experience joy and yeah. these moments that are transcended that you, you're just in that being mode. Mm-hmm. So to, to have that, yeah, you, again, like you're saying, you have to be in a world that's going to allow for that. Mm-hmm. And he also says in this mode, not only things are things, but all that is alive becomes a thing. It, it, it's like even human beings, we've talked about this before, become things that are used as a means to an end, transactional relationships, transactions. We're using each other. Hello, right. the social dilemma <laughs> are being used for profit, period. Right. And I think if you look a little deeper into a lot of our institutions in our society, you'll see that it's the same mode. It's the same. Right. And that's why people feel empty after these, like you're saying, these transactions, because you're not in the being mode. You're, mm. it's, you're just having this, these experiences that aren't, meaningful. They're, they're, it's a purpose, a transaction. Right. And, and this is, I think, my favorite part on here. <laughs> he ends the chapter like this. Um, and, and he says this in a way that I've said it before. And maybe it's because I read this book several years ago <laughs> and, and remembered it from that. But, you know, he says, in addition, time is not only time, but time is money. The machine mm-hmm. must be used maximally. Therefore, the machine forces its own rhythm upon the worker. That is sums up our whole argument right here. Yeah, exactly. Look, you, we don't have time to be human. We don't have time to develop a loving, a real deep loving relationship, to develop the art of loving. By the way, I think we've mentioned his book, The Art of Loving, before, but it's on YouTube for free. Listen to that. Love is a verb. We are reading another book, Bell Hooks. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, What's it called? The What is it called? I think it's, oh, now I. Now, now, our, now our, I was about to say The Art of Loving, and that's from. That's not it. It'll yeah. come to me. Anyway, all about love. That's what it's called. All about love, yes. Uh, so, so anyway, there's no time for these things that are essentially human, innately human, and that are human needs. Because why? Because the machine has to run. What do I mean by the machine? Industrialization, society, jobs, you know, the workforce. Via the machine, time has become our ruler. Only in our free hours do we seem to have a certain choice. And even in those hours, he says, we're like, are we really choosing? Or are we just, we're passively, you know, just getting through the, the time that we have actually just tinily be, been given away from work. We're like, oh shit, I get one minute to breathe now. And then I get to go back to the machine. So it's almost yeah. like the quality of that time isn't even that great as a result of the demands of time and the machine. Yeah. And you know, you could even bring this all the way back to the Monica Lewinsky article, right? Because pre-COVID people with your limited time saw friends or family, and then all of a sudden, even that was taken away. 
So mm-hmm. we lost any kind of uh, connection that we need, like Fromm says, as human beings, because we need to be connected with one another. Mm-hmm. And no wonder that there's depression and alienation and loneliness. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yes. And the last sentence he has here, by not doing anything except disobeying time's demands, we have the illusion that we are free when we are, in fact, only paroled from our time prison. That He said that way better than I just said it a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying too hard. Anyway, uh, yeah. So what do you think, Sonia? That's yeah, it's pretty, it's good. I mean, this is what I love about From. And there's other parts of this chapter that we didn't even touch upon, but that that's a, those two were great. The one you picked was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can, again, totally relate <laughs> to what he's talking about because we live in a, a society, we live in the industrialized first world capitalist society where we're definitely ruled by time. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, we could probably think of examples of when we're on vacation or for me personally, when I've lived in other countries where time isn't as demanding, mm-hmm. uh, the society doesn't isn't set up where time is, is so demanding. It's so it's such a different feeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it goes back to the productivity. You and I've talked about how you have, you're supposedly have to be productive. Mm-hmm. And I think if you told someone you're laying in a field, you know, uh, just relaxing, they're going to say, well, what are you doing that for? You know, where's the productivity? So for sure. um, this for is sure. what he talks about is, is exactly well. It just relates to everything that we discuss with more examples of the having and being. Yes, yes. And we will dive deeper into the rest of this chapter in future episodes. There's some other uh, really cool stuff in here. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Um, thank you guys for everything you're doing. Don't forget to buy Victor a coffee, please. Buymeacoffee.com slash Victor Ho. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we appreciate you so much. Sonia, have yeah. so much fun. Have so much fun. I will. I will. I'm going to try to do the being mode while I'm traveling. Do it. I'm going to be like, I'm going to Latin America. (laughs) (laughs) That would be cool. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we love uh, doing this and connecting with everyone. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. That we respect time is one thing, that we submit to it is another. In the mode of being, we respect time, but we do not submit to it. But this respect for time becomes submission when the having mode predominates. In this mode, not only things are things, but all that is alive becomes a thing. In the mode of having, time becomes our ruler. In the being mode, Time is dethroned. It is no longer the idol that rules our life. In industrial society, time rules supreme. The current mode of production demands that every action be exactly timed, that not only the endless assembly line conveyor belt, but in a less crude sense, most of our activities be ruled by time. In addition, time not only is time, time is money. 
The machine must be used maximally. Therefore, the machine forces its own rhythm upon the worker. Via the machine, time has become our ruler. Only in our free hours do we seem to have a certain choice. Yet we usually organize our leisure as we organize our work. Or we rebel against tyrant time by being absolutely lazy. By not doing anything except disobeying time's demands, we have the illusion that we are free when we are, in fact, only paroled from our time prison.